In the beginning is the name of our series. In the beginning was Ymir, uh, the personification of chaos, who lived in the void known as Ganingagup and drank from the udder of Ardumla, a primal cow uh, made from melting ice. And from the sweat of Ymir's armpits came two giants and one more from his legs. And then the cosmic cow uh, licked his pile of salt and the god Buri was freed from the salt, uh, who then got with one of the giant's descendants and Odin was born. Uh, And then for some reason Odin dismembered Ymir, uh, whose parts became the cosmos and the world. In the beginning was a very large cobra uh, floating along the ocean. In the cobra's coils was Vishnu. And in Vishnu's navel was a lotus. And in the lotus was Brahma, the four-headed demigod, who used that lotus to create the universe. Or in the beginning was Nyx, a black bird, uh, who laid a golden egg. And after many ages, the egg hatched, and Eros, the god of love, arose. One half of that egg became the sky, named Uranus, and one half became the earth, named Gaia. And of course, Eros made those two fall in love and they begat many descendants. But then Uranus began to see his descendants as a threat and so he imprisoned them. Uh, Gaia, of course, was very angry about this and so their son Cronos attacked Uranus and removed his genitals, which eventually became Aphrodite. Uh, That's weird, but then Cronos ate up his children and uh, all except Zeus, who was the one to begat Prometheus. And Prometheus uh, created people for the earth. Uh, But then he gave them fire and that made Zeus angry, so he was bound and tortured for the rest of eternity. In the beginning was a different egg. I will stop this at one point. (laughs) And inside that egg was Pangu and the balance of yin and yang. When Pangu awoke, he broke the egg apart and held the earth and sky apart for 18,000 years. And when he died, his body became all the features of the earth. His eyes were the sun and the moon, his breath was the wind, his limbs the mountains, his blood the rivers, and his parasites, because of course he had parasites, they became humans. In the beginning, our whole universe was in a hot, dense state, and then nearly 14 billion years ago, expansion started, wait, the earth began to cool, the autotrophs began to drool. Neanderthals developed tools, we built a wall, we built the pyramids, math, science, history, unravelling the mysteries, and it all started with a big bang. Hey, I couldn't help myself with that last one. But these, these are just some of the theories uh, about the origins of the world, uh, before we consider what the Bible says about the beginning. And it is not my intention to uh, bring these up in order to mock them. Uh, as much as some things certainly baffle us, but it's more to provide a bit of contrast to the Genesis account. Because certainly my hope and prayer in this series is that we find in Genesis uh, simplicity in our Creator God, that we find beauty in the way that He's created, and that we find, most importantly, meaning for our lives in the biblical creation account. So that's what we're going to read now. I'm going to ask Jordan to come up. He's going to read from Genesis 1 and also John 1. So if you'd like to turn in your Bible, you can, and it will also be up on the screen. (coughs) 
Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And now to the Gospel of John, again chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks, Jordan. Today we're focusing specifically on Genesis 1, verse 1. And the ten words that make up that verse form a bold, simple, encompassing and meaningful statement about the origin of the universe. And this morning I simply want to break that down into three parts as we consider it. Starting with the first three words, in the beginning. In the beginning, well the beginning of what? The beginning of time. The beginning of what is created. Not many of the creation accounts try to explain a beginning to time. Either God sort of just came out of nowhere or the Big Bang just happened. And uh, theoretical physicists are still searching for that answer. What came before the Big Bang? And they are doing that with, I think, a fervent faith equal to any religion. And you could say that the Bible is similar. In the beginning... God. Before time, there was God. Before anything, there was God. He was just there in the beginning, pre-existent and eternal. But see, where other religions have gods with beginnings and endings, with births and deaths, with starts and finishes, the Bible never does that. The Bible is consistent in portraying God as the definition and the determination of beginnings and ends. He is outside of time. He is forever. And we've just sung about that, haven't we? And that contrast is especially important when it comes to Jesus, God's Son. He is not born to God. He is not created by God, as uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses believe. He is as a part of the triune God, also pre-existent and eternal. We read that before in John 1, that Jesus was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that all created things were made in him and through him and for him. He is above creation. And if that weren't enough, 
Jesus himself says in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. God says that, but so does Jesus right at the end of the Bible. Father, Son and Spirit are outside of time, except, of course, when Jesus steps into the world as a man to come and save us. But there is no beginning for God, only for the things that he creates. And that includes time itself. And that's important for us to remember, especially next week when we talk more about the days of creation. God is the creator and the master of time. He's above it all. He can see our past and our present and our future at any moment. He can control things at any point of history. He is a true time lord. And that ought to be a great comfort to us. When God holds you, it is not restricted by our understanding of time. We who look at the past and go, nothing can be changed. It's set in stone. It's it's done with. That's not the case for God. And he who, for, for him a thousand years is like a day, Peter says, or our life is like a breath. And yet he still guides us and, and comforts us and carries us and helps us through every moment. Time is no obstacle for God like it is for us. And so it's not random that the very first thing God speaks and creates is light. Let there be light. After all, light and time are inextricably linked, uh, if you care for physics. If you can travel faster than light, you can actually travel through time. And that void of of light that you find in a black hole, which is still uh, incomprehensible to us, it does some crazy things to time as well. And yet today's science still cannot fully comprehend either of these things. The way that time and space bends. We've observed it, but we can't understand it. Or the way that light is actually both waves and particles. Scientists agree on this and they get it and they say, yes, it's both, but it can't be both at the same time. It's it's beyond comprehension. And many physicists claim these theories as inarguable facts and yet at the same time confess the unknown. And I'd have to say the same. All I know is that when God said, let there be light, it would have been an explosive act of creation. Incredible. Originating time and the universe itself. Absolutely epic. But again, Jesus, the eternal son, is also the embodiment of light. The spiritual light to complement the physical. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That is amazing. John also wrote as we read that Jesus was the light of all mankind. A light which shines in the darkness. And of course, Jesus himself says it in John 8, doesn't he? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
There is so much Jesus in creation. And if you're visiting with us today and this is all a bit new to you, let me tell you that the creation is not just about things that have happened in the past. It is about Jesus and what is still happening. And I don't know about all of you here, but I can't wait to find more of Jesus as we go through God's creation. So in the beginning, beginning of time and of the universe and of all created things, there was God. God the Father, God the Son, eternal, pre-existent. And in the beginning, God created. God created. He is the creator. He is the maker. As we profess in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the creator and we are his creatures. He is the maker who helps the ones that he has made. No other religion is as clear about this creator-creature divide as our Judeo-Christian background. In many of those religions, you know, gods can't really create without limitations. Gods can be killed. Humans can become gods. It's, it's, it's really all over the place. But the Bible shows that God is creator and we are his creatures. He can never be lowered to the status of, of humans, of creatures. Except, of course, in that voluntary self-sacrificing act of Jesus' incarnation. And creatures can never be raised up to the level of God. And that's why when humans try it in Genesis 3, you can be like God. Do whatever you want. They discover shame and humiliation and death instead of the hoped-for exaltation and power and life. And so we're reminded not to bring God down to our level, as if he is also bound by time and space and human limitations. And we're reminded not to try and take God's place, as if we aren't creatures who are bound by time and space and other restrictions, as if we don't belong to the God who made us. So consider in your own life, how is it that you possibly are lowering God? Maybe in the way that you relate to him. Maybe in a lack of trust for your life. Maybe in a refusal to share the good news because surely God's not going to do something with that. And how are you exalting yourself? Trying to take his place. In family, in work, in other parts of life, how are you seeking to be your own God? God is creator, and we are his creatures. But then consider the manner in which he creates, with words. He simply speaks, and things come into existence. With simple words, he creates something out of nothing. We as people, we can create things, can't we? We were made in God's image, we reflect him. We love to create, we love to order, we love to do that stuff. But everything that we make comes from something else. It has to. Now, if you bake a cake, it requires ingredients. 
If you sculpt a statue, it requires materials. If you uh, play a song, it needs an instrument or vocal cords. Even 3D printing requires that plastic stuff. It just can't come out of nowhere. But God speaks time into existence. He speaks and space comes and light comes and, and matter just appears. With simple words, he creates something out of nothing. And only he can do that. And again, it's in God's speaking that we find Jesus. Jesus, who John calls the Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, God's Word is his revelation. It is how he shows himself reveals himself. And in creation, around us, he reveals himself generally, broadly. He shows his glory and his light in all the things that he's made, including human beings. And so when people look around at creation and look at each other even, we should be able to see God and his glory through those things. Often we're blinded to it, but that was the intent. But then in Jesus, he reveals himself Especially, we have seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only Son. There is no other, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In grace, in undeserved love, and in truth, which is the gospel, God shows himself through his word, Jesus Christ. And it reminds us that words are so incredibly important. Throughout scripture, we find that words in in society and in the church are powerful, that they they can show both deepest corruption and greatest blessing. And we're warned to be careful with our words. And of course, scripture itself is God's word. Breathed by him in order to show himself and to show his son and to show his gospel for our salvation. And all of it starts with creation. Every single part of it starts with God's creating act. So please don't ever underestimate the power of words and the power of the word. Holding this is like holding the entire universe in our hands. God's revelation. Holding this is like holding the eternal sun and all that it means close to our hearts. Such great glory and grace is revealed to us in these words and in the word Jesus Christ. We can see God. So in the beginning, God created. Through a simple word, making something out of nothing, the creator created. The heavens and the earth. In other words, everything. Everything down here, everything up there. In those days, the heavens were this kind of inexplicable vault Uh, That's the word we find in the Bible, this vault 
um, that covered the whole earth. And it had the stars and it had everything up there. Uh, it was a sky that was somehow endless in all directions. You just didn't know where that would go. Nowadays, thanks to science, we know that the vastness of the heavens is mind-boggling, isn't it? You know, just point up and that goes for billions of light years, according to our observation. It encompasses planets and stars and solar systems and galaxies and clusters and things that we could never comprehend, never understand. It's everything. And yet let's not forget that God is above even that. But that's massive, but God is bigger. And so the heavens actually have a deeper meaning as well. They refer to God's design and his blueprint for the earth. They reflect the, the source and the dwelling of the creator, even though he's bigger, but that being the model for what he will create on earth. And it's not just about geography and topography and sort of physical characteristics of the earth, but but everything, the people, the cultures, the society, the very way that God wants things to be, he models and seeks to create. Uh, I borrow this image up on the screen, uh, or the concept of it, from uh, Mark Sayers, author and pastor in Melbourne. Uh, In order to help explain a little bit of Genesis 1 verse 2, the formless and empty void and the chaos and the waters. So we've got heaven there at the top, uh, God's blueprint for the world. And then there is the formless earth, dark and watery and chaotic. And then there is the Spirit of God hovering, ready to enact God's will for creation. And then eventually there is human beings there above the earth. Uh, made in God's image. And as God forms what is formless and he fills what is empty in the beginning, we'll talk more about that next week, he also calls us uh, in his image to keep forming what is formless and to form what is, uh, or to fill what is empty. For example, go and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And this is what it means to be creative as human beings, to create order and to cultivate culture. We take what's unformed and we form it. We take what is unordered and we order it. Unfortunately, once Genesis 3 has come and gone, we naturally tend more to deforming things and disordering things, don't we? So think of some clay... Uh, that's whacked down on the pottery wheel. It starts off as just a blob. It's not a bad thing. It's just a neutral blob. It's unformed. It's, dis- it's uh, non-ordered. And then if you have any skill, you get that wheel going, you add some water and you form it into a bowl or a, a vase or a plate or something. And then uh, maybe if you're at school, a bully will come along or if you're at home, a toddler will come along and just ram their fist into that bit of clay. Uh, bam! It's deformed. And in this world, God forms the formless and so often we deform it. Or we're called to create order out of chaos, aren't we? But we often create disorder instead. It happens in our work. It happens in our relationships. It happens in our society. 
It happens in every part of life, including our thoughts, including our emotions. There is disorder. There is deformity. And so ask yourself, what are you, or where are you enjoying God's or perhaps your own form from formlessness? Or order from non-order? Where are you enjoying that process? The beauty of it? And where are you noticing form becoming deformed in your life? Or order becoming disordered in the world around you? And what can you do as a creature who reflects the Creator to pursue form and order once again in your life, in, in your context? What can you do? And ultimately, the only lasting answer is Jesus. Now, have a look at that picture again up on the screen. Can anyone see something else in that picture? Image of something else. Any takers? Sorry? The grid, yes, that's true. There's a grid in the background. <laughs> Abstract thinking. Anything else? Could be a picture of Jesus' baptism, couldn't it? Just adjust it a little bit. The Son of God, who comes as the representative human, coming up out of the waters, which even at that time still sort of showed this neutral chaos. And with the Spirit spirit descending on him, coming down from heaven. And the Spirit anoints him and appoints him and empowers him to do what? To bring heaven's form and order to a deformed and disorderly world. Basically to enact God's ongoing will of creation here in a broken world. And that's what he does, isn't it? That's what Jesus does. He comes and he heals sickness. He heals those disorders and deformities. He reverses the destruction of evil spirits where it's going on in the mind and in the emotions. He raises people from the dead, the ultimate end to this deformity. And more than all of that, he teaches and he proclaims. What does he proclaim? The kingdom of heaven. Ultimate form and order. Jesus is bringing heaven down to earth and in him they collide. The kingdom comes crashing down and order smashes into disorder and form smashes into deformity and the way that it affects people. And everywhere that Jesus goes, he is a dramatic catalyst for this redemptive restoration, this ongoing creation. Can you see how meaningful this is for us? That on the one hand, yes, we are created in God's image to form what's formless and to create order and to cultivate culture and to enjoy Him, to enjoy His creation, to enjoy the whole process. We'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But as well as that, If we believe in Jesus, we are anointed and appointed and empowered by the Spirit to bring heaven's form and order to this world. With the already spoken word of God, we're not trying to replace Jesus. The word has been spoken. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. 
the light in the darkness. We are called to proclaim him, to proclaim that light, to shine that light, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven and to shine the glory of God revealed in Jesus. And to do that as clearly and as naturally as the created world around us. That's what we want for people out there, to see just as clearly as the tree on the corner of their street that there is God and there is Jesus at work redeeming in this world. How can they see it? Through the church, through Christians. We are to be the catalysts for redemptive restoration, for the form and order of the kingdom of the Son smashing into the deformity and the disorder of the dominion of darkness. We are, by the Spirit's power and with the grace and the truth of the gospel, to bring heaven down to earth. This is our purpose. It's not just to be stewards of our work or our family or the earth or our homes or all those things. That's great and we enjoy that. But this is our purpose. The ongoing creation of God through the redemption of Jesus. The beginning creation, Genesis, is not just a point of history. It's creation still happening today. Every moment in your life, every moment is a beginning that comes from God through the renewing power, through the new life, the constant new life of Jesus. Paul says that in Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus, everything was made. Do you know how epic that is? He is the complete purpose of creation. So let's, yes, enjoy the Creator. And let's, yes, enjoy His creation. But let's also live for the purpose of it all, which is the glory of the one and only Son. Let's pray. Father, it's mind-boggling, the world around us that you have created, the universe in what seems to us its, its boundless size, and the fact that you could still be bigger than that. It's mind-boggling that you are above time, and that time is... is merely a creation. And Lord, as mind-boggling it is, we just want to ask that you show us how Jesus fulfills it all. How it all points to him. How it's all about him. Father, may you humble us through the sheer magnitude of creation and what we're considering here in your word. 
But may you also strengthen us and empower us with the gospel that is your ongoing creative work through the redemption of Jesus. And we pray that you might use us to be bearers of the light, to share the word that is Jesus. so that people around us will see your glory. The glory of the one and only Son. The revelation of who you are. And the fix, the redemption, the restoration of everything that is broken in this world. Everything that is disorderly, everything that is deformed. Lord, wherever we're suffering from that brokenness, in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, our circumstances, our relationships, we pray that we might look to you, we might look to Jesus and find rescue. And that we might be so thoroughly renewed and changed by it that we will share and praise you to the world around us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.